I would like to acknowledge that the Teach Reach podcast is operating on the unceded traditional territories of the Matsky, Kwantlen, Ketsi, and Semihamu First Nations. Growing up on ancestral territory of the Taino people, and now as an invited guest on Turtle Island, I recognize the immense impact that the land has had on me. The land has taught me respect, reciprocity, reverence, humility, and responsibility. Through indigenous knowledges, I learned that the land carries stories, histories, medicine, and gifts that enable us to reflect and connect with ourselves and our communities. As a stories-focused podcast, I understand the value of investigating place and space to grapple with real-world issues. I seek to support the ways that indigenous peoples are using to protect their land and communities. It is my intention to continue learning how to properly honor and care for the place where I live. Welcome to Teach Reach, a podcast to explore human connections through shared stories. We are all stories, those we know, those we live through, those we fabricate, and those we wish to deconstruct. We teach, you reach. If you've been following us for a while, you know that this podcast is produced by Dr. Lemstein Productions. Our beloved Ian is the magician behind all the episodes. This episode, season 2, episode 1, is about him. Now, this has been in the works for a while. But before I mention what was discussed, I have to say that I'm very, very tentative about this particular episode. You see, the producer can edit things the way he wants to make me say what he wishes to hear. That's the real danger of having an episode about someone who has all the power. And God only knows how much our producer loves compliment. So please Take everything I'm saying here with a grain of salt. <laughs> On a more serious note, this episode has been in the works for a while. After some soul searching and embracing that our focus is stories, we could not help but open the door to our listeners so they know about the other half of Teach Reach. In a conversation that flows like two dudes sitting at a bar, we went from sports banter, immigration, the importance and value of community building, teaching, and political takes. And one final thing. I must say, if you have any email to send us, please address them to the doctor himself. He'll be happy to receive your email. I am honored to call such a brilliant soul a friend and to build this project with him. Enjoy the ride. And then we're live. Welcome. <laughs> so yeah, so I started in Kitchener uh, in my Canadian journey, and then I I moved uh, over here three years ago now. Yeah, I just knew this was the place to be when the world ends. With <laughs> and the world ends, the world hasn't has not ended, man. Like I don't know, it hasn't. I think it's gotten better. I think it has. No, it well, with, with you in it, better for sure. Well, um did you did you catch up a red wings game when you were in kitchener like did you get a chance to go to detroit we did we did um my wife actually planned it with my family uh with my parents to get us like um like right on the boards we were like maybe one row at the joe before it closed down okay um okay you know so that was really cool to be able to go there and then it was like three hours away so I would maybe once every other season go. Yeah. Because we had yeah. a newborn and like that was tough to like, like yeah, well, I'm going to leave you alone with our <laughs> newborn, Amanda, for a day while I drive to Windsor. Well, I mean, you can do it. Father of the year, husband of the year. but I um... mean, I could have. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You are, based on what I know of you, you are far from a guy that would 
wish to do that or even think about doing that so no so no so that kudos to you that you however however let's say hypothetically okay you have a newborn yeah the mets are in the world series they are So 2015, when we moved up, when we, the year we moved up, um, yeah, this was discussed. Uh, the Blue Jays and the Mets were doing really good. We lived an hour outside of uh, Toronto. Yeah. And uh, Mando would have been uh, like six, seven months pregnant. Yeah. So it was like they go to the World Series. Like Mets and Jays go to the World Series. I mean, the Jays were like, what, a game, two games away from the World Series? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right that year, so um, you know, I I had said to my wife, I was like, "Hey, they go to the World Series. I'm I'm gonna go," and she's like, "That's fine." And then that brought up the hypotheticals of like, even with the newborn, yeah, hundred um, percent. Okay. And she's totally accepted. But and, and and then here's the kicker: so she's gonna go to New York this fall, mm. mid October, October twentieth. Ooh. Ooh. Right, so she was like, uh, if "The Mets are." She's like, "Yeah, I don't have to worry because the Mets won't be in the uh, the World Series will be over by then." And I was like, "No, no, no, that's like, that's like pennant race. That's like you could start the World Series game one, game two. Yeah. Uh, she's like, "If they're there, do you want me to go? Would you be mad?" And I was like, "No. If one of us got to go to a World Series game in New York, I like, why would I be mad?" Well, okay, this is my gift to you because I mean. For the people listening, <laughs> the podcast is not making money, so we're looking for investors. Our producers working really hard, you know, on producing a bunch of things. My gift to the producer, to Ian, Dr. Lemstein, my gift to you, if the Mets make it to the World Series, I'm not sending you to the World Series. You're going to go no. on your own, but I'll babysit Wyatt. No problem. For me Get to fly out. Yeah, well, you, you can go and, and spend spend time like go watch one game i mean don't don't watch the whole like i don't know if it's game i don't i don't know like if it's game f- two in in new york you, you can watch you can catch a game and then you know you just drop right at home even if it's like weekday doesn't matter that's our gift to you but you're responsible to paying to get there <laughs> <laughs> well that's fair that's fair yeah uh yeah amanda's going for a friend's 40th so i don't i don't think i'll be invited even if yeah, yeah, i have yeah. the option to watch Wyatt. yeah um, yeah so but that's yeah yeah so that's uh that's been discussed and, and we have we have had that hypothetical run through so you're a mets fan because you were born in new york is that what it is or because you were born in 1986 and then you were like couple of months old when the Mets won the last World Series? Wasn't even... I don't even think I was a month old. I'd have to look at the dates of the World Series. Yeah. I I don't even think I was a month old when they won. No, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, It may be the New York thing. I I don't... I I don't have a great answer. I mean, the answer would be, like, Mike Piazza's really cool, and I like like watching um, good catchers. Like, I like the catcher position, so, like, I always like to watch uh, Molina with the cards and then, you know, before that Piazza. Um, I think part of it is the New York thing of just like, yeah, having some odd, weird connection to my, to a state that like I know nothing really of. Like it has no meaning. <laughs> like when I go visit uh, family in New York, like it's not like, oh, this is home. This is like, oh, this is their house. This is like, there's yeah. no connection to it really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess that's why. And then, yeah, the Piazza is like pretty cool. And it's nice to have a team that like just knows how to be bad, you know, like just know how to <laughs> disappoint I mean, a fan base that's, every year. That's a, that's a New York theme besides the Yankees. That's a theme. Like, I mean, the oh, Knicks the, the have Knicks. not been. Oh, yeah. No, the Knicks are never going to be relevant. Like, you know, when was the last time they really were relevant? The 90s, like mid 90s, 94, they made the finals. Yeah, then, the end of Patrick then... Ewing's career. And that, <laughs> they were done. <laughs> Who's the um, last big, big name to play for the Knicks? As a, like, as a player, like, like basketball yeah, player? Who's the last big uh, player? Carmelo Anthony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I so, mean... but even then, he couldn't elevate the Knicks to be well, a contender. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
But you know what I mean? And Corral is a great player. He played. Uh, he's still playing, isn't he? Isn't he still? He, he is still playing. Yeah. So like, I mean, I think he showed he is much better. But like, that's the thing. If a team can't build on a multi-decade player, like you're, you screwed yourself. Jets are the same way. Jets always get them get in their own way. <laughs> you know, whenever I think about, whenever I hear the word the New York Jets. We are doing a total like geeky. Sports. This has nothing to do with what we normally talk about, but that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. We're doing a total geeky sports here. When I think about the New York Net, the New York Jets, I think about the butt flop fumble. Oh yeah, with, uh, with who was uh, it? Uh, Sanchez. Mark Sanchez. Yeah, Mark yeah. Sanchez. Oh man, the butt fumble. It's like, oh. but it's but that's the thing. The last time they were relevant was Super Bowl three. <laughs> <laughs> When you say it like this, it sounds really bad. Like, oh, I'm sorry. When you back up with your statement with fact, it suddenly it sounds it sounds really bad. Like, yeah, but it's true though. It's, it really is true. That's the last time they were relevant. <laughs> Prove me wrong, internet. Prove oh, me wrong, man. Crazy. So, um, well, how does it feel to be? you know, interviewed, you, you're kind of a guy who operate very, very well, super skilled, like you do all kind of things, producing, woodworking, amazing chef, like teaching, like you got to have like 500 hats that you wear. And, and, but all those hats, it's always like in the background, in a way, from, from what I know from you for the last three years, four years that we know each other, three years. And it's kind of right now, like, you know, you're in the forefront, we're interviewing you, people are hearing your voice. How, how does it feel? Uh, I don't mind being interviewed. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of being in the, the front. Like that's, uh, it's not my normal place, but um, I like to be kind of behind the scenes and I kind of will still be behind the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But I like having I like I like having conversations with you, and I like the guests you bring on um, that you've brought on in in the past, and, and what who you'll continue to bring in. And so I'm looking forward to being able to have a voice in that conversation. Um, you know, I think that's I think that'll be a, a fun a fun new chapter for this for this show, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Well, for little background. How did you get to be the producer of Teach Reach podcast, the biggest podcast on the planet? <laughs> okay, so let's see if I remember the story correctly. You can you can add notes where you you feel like you need you need to. Uh, but if I remember, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, you said I want to make a podcast, uh, and I, I want to just record myself. And I said, oh, I'll produce that. And I think that's how it started. Did I miss oh, anything? Oh man, like I need to fact check Snoop's fact check the heck out of this. That's not that's 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 the too long don't read, you know, version. Okay. Um so there's elements obviously like that's the truth that I said I wanted to make a podcast and you said we produce it. But when you ask uh, before you said you produce it, you're like you said um how are you going to make that podcast? And I'm like, oh, dude, very easy. I'm just going to grab my phone. Okay. And I'm just going to record a couple of voice notes and I'm going to pump that on a, there's a friend of mine that I know, shout out to Olivier Day, who said, you know, you can use Podbean and just upload your things there. And you were like, dude, I'll produce the podcast because I want to produce the podcast, but because people don't like bad audio. Oh, that's and I so hate true. bad audio. That's and so it's true. like, if you want me to listen to the podcast, the audio has to be good. So that's what I was <laughs> like. I was like, okay. Um, so that's that's how you got to, 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 you know, that's the long version of you being the producer. And, and it's been like, I mean, the knowledge that you bring is, is, is phenomenal. Like, you know, from from the promo episode being recorded in a closet, like with like so much clothes that you asked me to, I was like, <laughs> I was sweating bullets, like seriously, right? That's how you know you're in a really soundproof uh, place. <laughs> you, you have no air to breathe. 
That's in right. The top. No, but yeah, uh, yeah, I really do hate bad audio. And I will say one of the main compliments we get uh, from fans and friends who listen is the audio is really good. So I hope it continues that way. Uh, yeah, don't let it. Don't we won't let it slide. I, I, I have uh, I have nothing to do with that, man. I just let you do your magic and and you do your thing. Right? But it does, like it, yeah, it it costs. I don't know. I've always had the opinion when when you could have mediocre audio and good audio, the difference is like twenty minutes worth of work. Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's my opinion. That like it doesn't take much to make it um, sound a lot better, and so that's what we that's what I try to do, and yeah, I think it's been good success. We're trying different mm-hmm. mediums, so you know it'll be interesting to see what happens throughout. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we touched a little bit on your love for the Mets. Yeah. Like, but you know, the question that I love about how people call the place they're where they are at home in a way, like, you know, how do you call that this Moscowim territory home? Like what, what brought you here where, where you live right now? How, how, how did you get there? Um, we came from, so my wife and I met in, uh, we met in California. We, she was working at a, at a lab in California. I was living in Alabama, but my, she worked with my brother. So I met him. I, I went to go visit him. My now wife and I met, uh, and then she told me that she needed to move back to Canada to get to, um, she had to finish her doctorate. So she needed to get back to Canada. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, you're from, you're from BC, Vancouver Island. Oh, great. That'll be a great place to live. It's not too cold. It's not too bad. She goes, no, 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 no. I'm in Kitchener, Ontario, Waterloo, Ontario. I was like, oh, that's much different. I don't even know what that is uh, or where that is. And so um, I looked it up. It was much colder than Vancouver, uh, but I agreed. So we moved. I was teaching at the time in Alabama or just finishing up teacher's college and uh, working as like a, a sub or a TOC before uh, or while I was in the school. So I graduated, got done, moved up. And um, yeah, we were there for five years. I kind of just did whatever I could to pay the bills. I couldn't get, I couldn't get work as a teacher. Uh, and then one day I just, I got frustrated and I said, we got to move where I can teach again. And we had always talked about moving out west. Um, we needed my wife needed to finish her doctorate first. I guess I could name her. Her name's Amanda. Um, I could identify her. And yeah, so <laughs> uh, the unnamed wife. It's uh, <laughs> another episode, man. Yeah, but she yeah. So anyway, so we wanted to move west, and so we did uh, in 2019. Yeah, and then uh, you and I met. Um, that fall, after uh, maybe two months after we had officially moved and settled in, uh, we were teaching at the same place. And yeah, yeah Burnaby, Vancouver, uh, Musqueam, Soil Tooth Nation, uh, Squamish Nation, like this unceded ter- territory has become home. And, you know, one of the big reasons we, we left Kitchener Waterloo was we just never were able to connect with many people. Hmm. You know, we were there five years. Um, I still, I talk to and only really talk to two people uh, outside of my wife in, in Kishore Marlou. Not to say that, you know, there's a lot of people that love it and, and enjoy <laughs> the place. Um, but, you know, at a certain point, my, Amanda and I are looking at each other and we're like, we're like, are, is this, is it us? Are we just not friendly people? Do people not want to hang out with us? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, we were like, no, we've, we've had friends in other places we've lived, so it can't be us. That's weird. <laughs> Um, and I mean, and it, and it proved that KW is not for us because we moved here and within, you know, days people were just so helpful, so friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we love it here and our, our, our child is six now, our son, our son's six and he's thriving, um, between, you know, learning Mandarin and being an engineer, he's going to wear 500 hats too one day. I, I, right well, day. that that's the thing. And, and you were talking about the the connection that's something that ever since i've met you was 
I feel that was central to you, kind of like that desire to build community and build relationship with people around you. And I don't know if it's, I'll go out on a limb to say that, on a limb, <laughs> I'll go out on a limb to say that um, it's probably a lot of, yes, personal trait, but maybe also educational, maybe also environment, environmental, because you grew up in the South of the United States where I don't know. It's there's something that we vibe or we gel you and I because of the proximity of, you know, we we talk about hurricane season. We we you know we kind of like connect on yeah. that. But I don't know if it's like there's a there's a vibe in there. So can you can you? Yeah, I mean, I always think thought our uh, I always thought the reason we got along so well is I just always kept bothering you and interrupting whatever you were doing. <laughs> uh so that you had to you had to spend time with me and get to know me oh, that was God. how i thought no no that's not true um <laughs> no i i do i think there is like that there is a bit of that shared identity like especially like i don't know it's a diff- not that like alabama like for as much jokes as i will continue to make about my home uh where i'm from uh you know it, it's not it's it, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. It is a it is a really nice place. It's a great place. Like, <laughs> I, I have a but... okay, I have a hard time taking this seriously from you, but I'll believe you because I've never been to Alabama, so I have to believe the person that no, no, part no, like, of what you say, yeah. Like there, there is, you know, I, I think for anyone, if you go down, if you like sports in any way or if you just like watching a bunch of people get together for a common cause going to a college football game on a saturday afternoon evening is like one of the like it's a it's it's an amazing thrill mm-hmm. you know stephen fry stephen fry does like a tour across america i can't remember i remember seeing it on netflix a while ago and in one of the episodes he goes to uh a, an iron bowl game a, a game between alabama and auburn and, you know, he shows the pageantry. It's like explaining America to people outside of America. So he goes in the stadium, like fighter jets fly over, um, you know, an eagle like takes off from someone's hand, flies around the stadium and lands back on their hand. Um, you know, there's like a giant American flag. There's a marching band. There's 90,000 plus people in the, in the stadium. And then he makes the, he makes the brilliant point of like, this isn't a championship game. This is just a regular, this is the a regular season game. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so, and this happens, you know, Jordan Hare or, or Bryant-Denny Stadium, like they fill up week after week. They're sold out. They're, full, they're at capacity, especially mm-hmm. if it's a bigger team. And so it's a common thing, you know. So that's an impressive thing. Who doesn't like good barbecue? Uh, which well. which the South is known for. Does Alabama <laughs> have its problems? Yeah, 100% it does. Do they keep getting in their own way for every one step forward? Do they take 10 back? Yes, they do. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So, but, yeah. So I think there is that. And then I think, yeah, the community building, to go back to that, um, I learned really early on in my teaching experience that, like, having a sense of community within a building or within a school, like it changes, it changes how students act, behave and, and learn, right? When they see you and I, for example, in a building together, collaborating to make a better lesson or to better understand a topic, to explain to them, to teach to that, to the student, they feel better about learning that material. Because they see, oh, hey, they're understanding it. They're helping us to digest it, to give us the knowledge. When they see us exhibit the positive learning behavior we want them to exhibit, then they can do it. They can do the learning because they, they've seen how it's done. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you think about how, like, kids get thrown into schools, like, into the education system. We literally drop them off in the morning, and then we go, okay, you have to learn this. You have to the end of the year. This teacher is qualified to do it. But like we don't teach you how to learn. We just like we start going through the steps of instruction and hope that you figure out, oh, this is how you learn. Instead of like, if I do this, this gets me to the next task. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I, my goal is to shift that. And then that over time is just kind of taken over my, that concept kind of has taken over my life of like, you know, where I live, I, I want everyone to know who I am. I want my neighbors to know that, you know, if you need help, I'm here to help. If you, you know, whatever you want to do in our community, like I'm good or bad, I want to be a part of just yeah. so, because as we build that community, as we build that, that neighborhood, you know, our kids can go around and run around and we don't have to worry about, you know, stranger danger or stuff like that because we, mm-hmm. we know we have, we have people looking out for the best interest of each other. Yeah. And, and that's, that's interesting because building that community makes it safer, but makes it like healthier too, right? It can like, it can grow and it can expand to like, to the to outside the boundaries of that little community um there, there's something that you guys do where you live that i found like very interesting and and it's beautiful because sometimes when i talk to you like oh i have to pick up you know food for there's a food thing that you guys do can you explain that a little bit yeah like yeah that, so that yeah so we live in like a big with a big courtyard that connects what is it? Four, one, two, three, four, five, ten uh, townhouses together, and the ten, like I would say, five out of the ten, um, you know, but at least once a month meet together and we just we share a meal together, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of that community building. Like I, I am kind of convinced if I ever became president of any country or prime minister of any country, one of my first acts of business would be to just get a large contingent of people from both countries together to just sit and have a meal. I just, I feel like there's nothing more peaceful and more diplomatic than sharing a meal together. Cause it, everyone has to eat, everyone eats. So it, it mm-hmm. humanizes, it humanizes you to the individual right away. And, um, mm-hmm. and then within our community, I mean, it, it makes it so, you know, everyone knows you, you trust one another, right? If you all share the same food instinctually, you know, you know, this food is safe. I can eat it. You can eat it. And so there's a level of trust that's built. And over time, yeah, it's great. One of the main reason we started it was my son and our neighbor's youngest son are about the same age. And we were already out there watching our kids anyway. So we're like, well, you know, we're going to eat. Oh, you're going to eat too. Why not? Like what's an extra burger or three burgers to add on? Yeah. 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 Do that or we'll order in, you know, we'll order each order, you know, like we, Greek food is something we'll bring in together as a group. Um, and it just, you know, it just gives a way to kind of share, have a meal, continue the day, continue the conversation. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great. We bring in other people from other courtyards. Um, and it just kind of lets you know what's going on in your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, we we I, I we are trying to have that in the place where I live. We have a couple of people in the same row as us that we... We see eye to eye. Um, however, in in like strata places, there's always a lot of like drama and and and. But there's one one recurrent, recurrent like um, thing or theme that comes back is that how do we build that community instead of like you know oh so and so did not respect the bylaws right? It's it's kind of you have, right, you have always right. a group of people that are that are there to police. And you're like, well, first of all, that's not your job. But it's kind of how do you soften that side of people that want to police? Because I read that as a way for them. That's the only way that they know how to connect. And no one has showed them how to connect in another way. So so it's always it's always tough, right? But I think with that yeah. idea of sharing meals, it's it's a great it's a great thing, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And here, I mean, you know, here like every strata, we have our drama as well, but you know, one of the pet peeves to take it back to teaching for a moment, like with community building, we, one of the pet peeves I have in my classroom is when students don't know each other's names. Mm. It's, it's from, it's not, I can forgive late assignments. I can forgive, like, I forgot to do my homework, but like, mm-hmm. if I say, Hey, go catch up on notes with this individual. And they say, I don't know who that is. <laughs> my, I, I give them a very dumbfounded look. Cause my, my response is like, Okay, you have been going to school with this person for how long? And there have been times I've checked, 
Because yeah. my math is like, I'm pretty sure it's been seven years. You both live near each other. Um, you know, you've gone to elementary or intermediate and some of high school together. Uh, so, you know, my, my response is like, you've gone, been to school together four years. Like you see them, you should know who they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same thing. Cause I think it builds by knowing someone's name, you now know who they are. You now can begin to build a profile of that person in your mind. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, you know, so that's my, that's my belief with it. Uh, yeah. I, I think once you know someone's name and you've met face to face, it really does. And I think there's, I think there's some Southern culture to that, you know, yeah. we're definitely like a handshake agreement, handshake deal, um, you know, honor, integrity, that kind of stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel that the same feeling that you had in Kitchener is the same feeling that I had when I first moved to BC for the first six, seven months where it was like, you know, it's, it's, my family is like we're like sardines we're like one on top of the other like we there's there's nothing that belongs to you there's nothing that's yours and that's kind of like that idea where yeah. sometimes can be frustrating but regardless it just the the 90 percent of it that is good is is so wonderful and when i moved here i was alone and and you feel that you start to sense the idea that community is necessary for survival Right, like you start to feel like you're, you need to have someone that you can at least, you know, have a handshake with or 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 an embrace. And and it, and I lived in Montreal, so and in Montreal it's like it's, you know, there's a big Haitian population, but also a lot of friends. And then that's where my formative years were, and it's like you start developing like external families, like family members that becomes like your your brothers, and then. All of a sudden, they're not there, and then you're like, "Yeah." Oh. And then, and added to that, it was like, it was winter and it's cold, and you don't know the land, and then you're just like, it's just grueling. So that that community building part is a is a big thing. So, um, I'm, I'm happy to to see that you are doing that in the places where you live, but I'm I'm happy to learn also like those those ways that you have to to engage you know, to, to engage with, with other people that you don't know. Um, you were talking about Alabama and, and how, how does it feel to be American outside of America or outside of the United States? I should be more, a little bit more. Oh, it's terrible. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there have been times where, and I'm going to sound like a snowflake for saying, it, but there are a couple times where like, uh, when the when the conversation turns political and it just gets to too much America bashing, mm. I I just kind of like go move somewhere else. I'm like, yeah, y'all can talk about this without me. Like, I'm clearly not needed in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, you know, like uh, I still like I. There is a hustle that I think America instills in its in it in the American people that I think is not matched anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Like just in terms of a call it a, a nihilistic capitalist approach to life. But like there is, there's an engine that kind of like you're built into you and you're born that you just, you, you don't see it as much here. Like you can, I don't know. I, you always know when you meet Americans, cause there's always that just like implicit hustle mm-hmm. happening. And I think that's the thing that like when you, especially when you talk about, American politics are like the question I, I, I find the players is like, how do they think that in that place? How do they think like that in Texas? How do they think like that in Missouri? And it's like, do you, do you get the history of Missouri? Like, do you get the history of Texas? Like, you know, Texas is like the, I always joke, Texas is the Quebec of America. <laughs> like they're just different for the sake of being different. Prove me wrong, Quebecers. I know this is primarily out, Montreal. Watch out, brother. Watch out, man. <laughs> Generating a lot of controversy <laughs> right on that mark. Um, we'll, we'll do a segment sometime where I list um, 
Texas only laws versus Quebec only laws, and you see how much overlap there is. Ooh, and you, yeah. brother! I wow. know. I'm coming out. I'm coming wow. with the heat. Okay, coming it's with coming the heat. In hot damn. Okay, I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll produce. I'll produce this podcast podcast episode just in case. You know, <laughs> I know where to splice things. Okay, I'll edit it. I look forward to your emails. I do every <laughs> single one of them. But my my point with it, my where I'm going with this is like there's. 50 different opinions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Minimum to any conversation you have about about a political issue. This is not me like saying I agree with one position over the other. This is mm-hmm. me saying when you have a conversation about about an issue, you have 50 different sides. Mhm. Mhm. And that is that's tough to like take into account, right? We want things to be like you're either for it or against it. You want to have easy options, but there's 50 different choices. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's uh, that's what's hard. And that's the thing that, like, you you know, I don't think the system, I think there could be improvements to the system, just like any government system. You know, like, let's be fair. If we're going to, like, bash on American politics, like, Trudeau keeps doing stupid stuff and somehow still holds on to, like, to leadership simply because, you know, what's the alternative? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Our alternative becomes like the conservatives and no one wants that, but no one wants to take the risk with like the NDP. That's right. That's right. Right. Well, I'll admit, you know, I'll say just to finish that statement, there's enough, I know enough people in BC who would vote uh, the block simply, (laughs) simply to give an option. Okay. Cut this part from the (laughs) end. Because we're not, we're not going to go like, we won't get down. Okay. So, so I, I've mentioned many times in like several podcasts that our existence is deeply political and I believe that our existence is deeply political. It needs to be. Um, When I was growing up, my family made clear that politics is a dirty game and it is like it's, it's dirty, but it's dirty in the sense of like when you are about to create something, it's always dirty. It's always messy. Yeah. And politics politics is messy because it requires those 50 different sides that you're talking about. It requires the, the merging to, to, to kind of like from those 50 different sides abstract something that is quote unquote the ideal that the community is striving towards. Yeah. So, and, and also to be like, it's messy because we are always talking and we're not worrying about we're not worrying about our blind side right of like the things that we're missing the 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 people that lives on the margin that we you know we forget in our in those 50 different views right so so if we're going to talk about you know the block quebecois and and all that jazz like there's a lot of like those positions that they have that is yes historical but also missing several different angles from it and and oh, i yeah 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 and 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 having and having lived in quebec and and interacted with quebecers and 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 look at the system for what it is and knowing exactly what's happening right now in quebec i would say that you know it's a complete overhaul of the system that is necessary and and there's there are people that are working towards that because when you have, I don't know, I don't care, I'll keep it on the podcast. When you have the Prime Minister of Quebec, or the Premier, because it's in French, it's Premier Ministre, but in, in, in English, it's Premier. Yeah. When you have the Premier telling you that there's no systemic racism in Quebec, then you're like, you got to. That's a lie. That's, that's a, like that you have like to, you, yeah. there's so much lie detected in there, like, you know. So, yeah. but, but it's kind of, and those things are. That's the messy part of politics. You don't know, or not we don't know, but we don't really know if the person is telling that to poke you, if the person telling you that because they truly believe it. What What is the end to that, to a statement like that, right? And then, yeah, and then yeah. it requires a bigger conversation to like not only define those terms, but to look at the true example of systemic racism within the society to be like there it is 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 popping all everywhere so yeah it's um yeah Yeah, i mean we see it here yeah it is it is but you know that yeah 
to I agree to come out to say there's no such thing as or there's no systemic racism in the government like that's not that's not even remotely accurate that's right no matter where you are on the spectrum you like that's not there is bias in everything mm-hmm for sure for sure and and the system was designed by a bunch of people who wanted to keep other people out and so like <laughs> you know like <laughs> that's how like <laughs> well let's not talk about the design part let's just talk about now like there's so much progress let's not talk about sure, the design is, sure. part right <laughs> why why can't we talk about both we can talk about progress and the fact and design flaws yeah yeah like well. and they didn't even hide they didn't hide their their animosity or willingness to just exclude people they mm-hmm. they made it pretty clear right like you know we define and to go to the u.s as, a, as an example like we defined what who could vote right away you know we wanted landowning men like to vote we didn't say and everyone else we said we want landowning <laughs> men of a certain age you know yeah, we, we started yeah. out we're from from the beginning yeah 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 so yeah. yeah it's a design it's a flawed system wow man but yeah well okay so i have a question for you and now you have to okay. be honest okay i have to be honest uh Jesus. I'm, and i'm gonna be selfish you know i don't like hearing praise about myself <laughs> um, but since okay. i have you on 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 microphone recording what did you think when we first met started getting along like what was your thought like Here's this crazy guy. Because I get, like, you know, American from the Deep South, um, you know, very white. Like, I get, like, I could, that could be a turnoff to people. So, my question, how did you how did you overcome your your extreme hatred of Americans? No. What? No, well. <laughs> <laughs> we've long said. Man, we, we've, we've going to lose, you know, like, so much listeners that's going to be like, okay, this guy hate Americans. I do not hate Americans. I have an aversion to Americans' grandiosity. I have an aversion for that. Um, and and I would tell you that the same aversion that I have to America's grandiosity is the same aversion that my wife, as a Guatemalan, has for the for Mexican grandiosity. You know those big powerful places that gets to because they are big they get to dictate dictates a certain side of a culture things that the whole culture revolve around them and and that's the aversion that we have not only the fact that growing up every single encounters that i've had with america was through americans government that mm. was putting its boost on my people so that that's the aversion. So so I I when I met you, I was a little bit more wiser to know the difference between the American people and the American government, and 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 that lucky you because we became friends. <laughs> we became we friends. We did, yeah. But but it's it's more it's more that 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 difference that you know that kind of like distinction that I had to make. Now what I thought of you, well, you're not the first deep white american that i've met right and and you know it's it wasn't my first rodeo meeting a a you know truly purely white guy so you you so 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 (laughs) to be very fair to be very fair it's always the default for us people of color is proceed with care proceed with care right proceed with caution right and 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 listen to how the person carries themselves, how they talk about that, and and how they offer voice, and I can say that from the moment that I've met you, there was no like hesitation into sharing. Into you were very curious, you were very, um, and, and you were not kind of like self centered of like, okay, well, I'm the guy from America and I know it all, right? So, so that kind of like helped too. In I, I believe that character trait that you have of being a very open guy, uh, um, and and having a having a propensity towards community helped as well foster that relationship, right? So, so I you know when I first met you, I think the first true conversation that we had, we talked about like um, about it was like. 
I have a phenomenal memory, I think. Um, I think it was food related. It was food like it related. Was food. We were we were by a food truck and we were talking about about okra, fried okra. That's yeah, what we yeah, were talking yeah, we about. did. Yeah. yeah, we talked about fried okra, and I was like, okay. Like, yes, he's from the South, but talking about fried okra is like niche. So I'm like, this guy, like, that's great. We can talk about fried okra, right? And I think, and I think we, we talked about that. And then I invited you over um, to have soup with us, right? Um, um, and, yeah, and then soup yeah. um, at home, soup jumu. And, and, you know, building those conversations. And, and, and I don't think it's only because we... I'll go out on a limb. Maybe we have the same political tendencies a little bit, but I I would say as well that that even if we didn't have the same political tendencies, the way that you present things offer a place for dialogues. And 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 I'm I am of the belief that we need to talk to people that do not think like us a lot, a lot more than yeah, we do, yeah. a lot more than we do. So like that, we can learn, but also the part that is important when we talk with people that do not have the same view as us is that we can learn how to strengthen our own argument that's the beauty of it it's like it's like i want to take what you would say against me and incorporate it and, and bulletproof my side of the argument and also acknowledge that i'm aware that other th- other sides exist right other other opinion I, I don't like the side because it's always you know the side is kind of like the word side is a protector towards like well there's always two sides so i'm not gonna get involved right so, but but different versions, right? So that's how I felt um, when I when I first when I first met you, and and then I think the rest is history. Like, um, yeah. Right now, I, I I do feel that there's a lot of, and then the pandemic happened like a couple of months after. Like, I think yeah. we had we had our last supper. I would say before the before they announced that the pandemic. Yeah, we, we went out. Drink. We went we for went drinks, and had right? A <laughs> we were like, "Hey, if we're gonna die, might as well die right now, right?" Might as well. Go. That, that's how that's how Southerners deal with tornadoes, really. Like, that's right. the reason you see crazy like crazy rednecks on the news, like half torn shirt and and debris everywhere, is they were out drinking while the tornado came, mm. and then the tornado passes by. And they just like seek shelter as the tornado's going by, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, or hurricane parties, it's the same idea. Like, if the good Lord's getting you, like, might as well have a party. Exactly. But yeah, no, yeah, we did. We, and that was a great little uh, way to kick off our months long hibernation. We had Seriously. some like, we had some good conversations during the pandemic because we got to just sit on Zoom for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because teaching was going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So I was talking about fried okra this morning, actually. And, yeah. Um, yeah, because it's a it's a oft oft spoke conversation in my in my vernacular. I love it. I love fried okra. Me too. I love fried okra. We should we, oh. should we should have a we should have one night where we cook fried okra before before school starts. That's I like this idea. Let's do it. I like it. Let's do it. Yeah, and so in many hats that you wear, you've I don't know. You've worked in media. Right. And how, how did you get to to teaching, but how did you get to like media as well? Like what's the intersection there? Um I so I always I've always loved movies and TV shows. Mm. Mostly television shows more than movies. Like I like movies, but um my love is TV. Like I love watching TV. Um and yeah, I was at a point in my um, sorry, I just like for a second. I, I was at a point in my college career where I had started off as an engineering major. For one reason or another, I started off as an engineering major, and it just wasn't for me. It just didn't fit my my talents. I just I didn't like it, and so I was exploring other things. I always wanted to teach. I always thought like I'd be a good teacher, but I was like I was given this opportunity to take some courses just to see what interests I had. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll go back to teaching if this doesn't work out. Um, and then, so I had to juggle between teaching and the film courses. So I took them. I did really well. I really enjoyed them. And I always kept having like a, a bit of an upward mobility with te- with the recording, with like the film or, or radio. Um, and then... 
yeah, so like I always could find like short films to do or independent movies to be a part of or get mm-hmm. on cast and crews that way. And then um, I got into an uh, internship with NPR. Um, and it was it was the best, worst thing that could have ever happened. How so? Um, so I got fired by NPR. <laughs> oh my God. As an intern. Okay. You know what? When we did our interview, and not our interview, but our hiring process, right now you didn't mention that. That's it. I never mentioned I was fired. Oh well, that's not the only place I was fired from. But that's in terms of audio quality and audio producing. I was fired from NPR during the internship, and it had nothing to do with my ability. It had nothing to do with my my uh, talent in audio in producing or anything like that. I was a terrible intern. Like I took this sit and I have an idea of why I still did it. I don't agree with myself for doing it, but I took the 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift at a studio. Oh, because I'm like, I'm a morning person. I can get up. I can get going. And I did that for a while. And then like the the job became monotonous. And like the yeah. the reporter I was assigned to like just stopped talking to me. And at one point he was like, I don't think radio's for you. What? Yeah, I know, right? And um, I think the reason was was that I kept asking him questions like, you know, he was like, you gotta, you gotta develop a story, you gotta put a story together. Do you have any ideas? And I was like, no. <laughs> He's like, well, what do you mean you don't have any ideas for a story? And I was like, I, I, you know, I have no idea what you're looking for. Like, I, you know, at the time when I was in university, I was like doing a bunch of sports reporting yeah. for the for the TV station and the radio uh, or the newspaper. And so, like, all my life was just like going to collegiate sporting events. So I was like, I can do a story for that. And they're like, okay, good, do a sports story. And and that was it. That was where they left me. And I'm like, you could give me some direction here, like, yeah, help yeah. me figure out how to like discern what's really newsworthy or what's not. Like, I have an idea. And I did a couple of stories. They made it to air. But, like, they never were great. They never mm-hmm. were, like, you know, or I did, like, a hum- I was, like, I got to do a human interest piece, you know, just to, like, broaden my horizons. And I somehow came into contact with a guy who, um, like, did, uh, he made carousel horses, like, by hand. He would, like, hand carve okay. carousel horses. Okay. This is, like, the perfect NPR story, right? <laughs> you can imagine Ira Glass talking about, like, yeah, and so he's been... He he has carved carousel horses for thirty years, and it helped him get over the trauma of his lost dog. You know what I mean? Like you could yeah, hear that yeah. this is a total NPR. Story. So I did it. I tried it, um, and the story wasn't great. Like I'm not a great. I was not a great interviewer at the time. Mm-hmm. But one thing they always said was like, "You're really good at like picking up the sound." Like the I was really good at like when he was carving to be able to get the wood carved, kind of splice it in. So I had the kind of back the back side of it, but I didn't have the the reporting side. Yeah, yeah. And I and I felt like I never got any support, so I just stopped showing up. And then they were like, "We have to fire you." <laughs> oh my god! And I was like, I I took it well. I was upset, yeah. but I took it well. Um, and then yeah, like that that kind of you know I kind of moved around at the time. Like I was like, well. I guess this is done, but I still kept getting like film work or, mm-hmm. um, you know, independent movie projects or like announcing and report. Like I was a sports announcer um, for the university that I went to. Like I did some of their broadcasts. I would do like their soccer broadcasts. I would do like PA announcing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got offers to like do a do PA announcing and other things for like the baseball, the minor league team. And then I moved to Florida and I did a little bit more. In fact, right as I left Florida, um, I was being offered a position to like be a high school football um, radio announcer oh, for wow. like Friday night. Wow! And the only thing was like it was the it was like five high schools putting it together, mm. or like one district mm-hmm. school district putting it together. And so they're like, we can't pay you what um, to do this. And I was like, I can't live in Florida for free. You know, like I need rent. <laughs> Um, and you're asking me to give up, you know, Thursday, Friday nights yeah, yeah. to do this, you know, and like, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it just never really worked, but I always wanted to get back into it. And then, mm-hmm. um, when all that kind of happened, I, I moved back to Alabama after that. And then, um, 
I was like, oh, I gotta, fi- I gotta figure out something I want to do. Like, oh, and I was like, I should go and give this teaching a try, because if I don't, I'm gonna regret it. And I just, I fell in love with teaching. Yeah. Like, there was nothing that just didn't. It just made total sense. It, it just clicked with me right away. Um, and then, because I can't do anything easy, um, uh, throughout in my teaching college, I convinced them they were very mad, but I convinced them to let me do all my observation at like different kinds of schools. So like I flew out to California. It's where I met my wife mm. on this trip. And then subsequent trips, this is how we would see each other. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. go and visit like charter schools. Yeah. Um, I would go and do like um, elementary schools in like the, in like big cities and like I would in Alabama and in California. And then like at really remote schools or like, Christian private schools like I wanted to see it all because mm-hmm. I, I have to know what it's like to to be able to you know because if I go and teach in only a rural school and then I go and teach in a city like how you teach in the in the in the boonies versus how you teach in the city is much different that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I had I wanted to I just like to get that kind of experience to see it all and then yeah I finished as I was finishing college Amanda needed to come up to to Canada, so that's how we got to, and then that's how I came up here. Sure, sure. Wow, yeah, wow, full circle, brother. Look full at circle. that. Look at that. Fifty full minutes, circle. we did it. We did it. Full circle. Yeah. Um. Well, you know this podcast called Teach Reach, right? So we need, we I've need, heard of it. we need your your two teach and one reach. Let's see, two teach and a reach. You think I would have produced this and pre-planned this segment? But... <laughs> Let's see, to teach. So the teach is two things that I have uh, learned recently that I would want to share with others and the reach is something I hope to learn. Or the reach is something that you hope like did not happen or it's like, no, no, foul, reaching foul, you know, know, shooting two free throws, that kind of thing. Hmm. Two things I've learned recently. Uh, I've learned that uh, in this is a weird one in Mandarin. Uh, Duebuchi is um, is I'm sorry. Okay. But then when you're telling someone that they are doing correct or they're doing a good job, you would say Dwey. Okay. Which is the same initial sound to I'm sorry. Okay. And I feel like there's some universal connection between like great job and I'm sorry that I'm missing with the two. Ooh. I know that it's there. Wow. But I want I have yet to that's, fully explore that. That's philosophical. That. Like in terms right? of like, like expressing sorriness, if that if that's a word, and and doing something, it's kind of like it, it's it's there's a there's a symbiosis somewhere, there's an act that it goes together. Okay. There really is. There Beautiful. really is, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So there's that. I think I feel like I've talked to you before about my um, affinity for James Baldwin, and I finally got through. It got through is a bad way to put it. I finally had the pleasure of finishing. Uh, if Beale Street yes. could talk, uh, I and it just reinforces my love for James Baldwin. Um, yes, just his ability to humanize the human emotional yeah. experience is profound unlike any other like to when when you're mm-hmm. learning about Fonny's when Fonny learns to understand the circumstance he's in of being in to spoil it but when he's in jail and when he learns that he's not coming out anytime soon and to to it's almost it's almost as though you're watching in real time this individual his face his emotion mm-hmm. it just take it over and and how it changes him it just I, you just you feel you just everything in your life just shifts 20 degrees as yep. a result you you never are the same i think everyone should read james baldwin he's just he's just like he has he has that uncanny ability to kind of give you emotions in in, yes, in the most yes. condensed way but the most beautiful way at the same time it's like it's just so it, it everyone should read baldwin everyone should whatever book 
pick a James Baldwin book and and read it. And for those people that do not have time to read, you can find plenty of YouTube video where you can hear James Baldwin telling you his most his political side and and stance, and he's able to articulate that. And when you like when you hear it, you're like, oh, well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he, he really is. Like, I go tell on a mountain I read about a year ago, and that was that was mm, amazing mm-hmm. um, as well. And it's for the same, it's for that same reason, just, um, you know, I'll never, there's a lot of things about the, the black experience I, as a white man, will never understand. But to be, to allow, for Baldwin to allow someone like me to gain that opportunity for a brief moment to just see it in story it it's very it, it's an experience unlike any other i now have uh, notes from a, notes of a native son that i'm mm-hmm. i've started and it's and it's the non-fiction account of his life like non-fiction account of his of his life through essay um so i'm excited i'm yeah, excited yes. intrigued by it of, okay how is this going to be different is he still going to provide the emotional appeal to me in the same way he does through fiction yeah yeah i think it i just i haven't read um notes of an of a native son i just bought the book like maybe a week or two oh, nice. ago um that's my that's my goal to while i'm flying to montreal um to read and it's like it's the 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 title notes of an of a native son it's it's something that a lot of authors that are in exile feels the need to write to their land like it's kind of it's kind of like that everything that's in you you feel like when you are and that's that's part of you know baldwin kind of mo was like i i can't stay on this land because you do not accept yeah. me the way that i am I'm going to go far away, but while I'm going far away, I'm still longing for my land. So it's like, it's, yeah, like, no, that, it's a big thing. I, right? And, and so. I don't, I, I don't, to the extreme that he left as a, for political or cultural reasons, I, I there's a connection that I do feel a little bit of like reading from mm-hmm. a being, being, you know, uh, an expat or being someone abroad. Like I, I, mm-hmm feel that Mm -hmm. that minute connection with it of yeah that same idea so yeah well we are gonna have to like get back together and discuss this of course discuss our thoughts with it 100 percent. so yeah man yeah yeah could do like teach reach podcast (laughs) we could do that or when we get together part of our discussion could just be a book we could do that that's it yeah oh and then a reach books and what's a reach that i want um, I mean, I hope that, uh, I guess to stick with the basketball analogy, I hope that the recent Supreme Court decision in the States is a, just a referee overlooking the play and that mm. the, the rectification happened. Like they don't miscue the next time. Like, um, you know, I want for anyone listening in the U.S., um, vote, vote loud. Um, yeah. I think the Republicans have shown, uh, or people who vote on that side have shown, you can vote multiple times without getting caught, or you do get caught. So don't don't multi- <laughs> vote multiple times. But you know, move back, move back to your tiny hometowns and vote there. Like, you know, yeah. the world needs another artist in New York. I'm not arguing, but like a. a they also need an artist in in <laughs> nowheresville illinois indiana because you can make a difference there yeah um so yeah, i hope yeah. i hope there's a change that's made that's interesting because it's kind of like it's really full circle because the the big part of our conversation was on community and the best level of government that we have it's it's the local but it's also the community how how all communities are run right like that's the best level of government and that's the sphere of influence that a lot of have a lot of us have right that's that's as far as we can get or or the one that we need to you know truly truly be invested in right so 
truly full circle, Doctor. I like when we do that. Um, that's 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 beautiful, man. Like a conversation with the the genius behind um, the audio quality um, of our podcast, and also like an all around curious individual who who wants to know, you know. Who, who's invested in his community. So thank you very much, Dr. Lemstein. Um, that's a wrap. And thank you for everybody listening. Okay. Anything after here, I'll cut out unless we want to put it back in. <laughs> Real quick, though, I am going to explain uh, why we're Dr. Lemstein Productions in case I ever need it on tape um, here on July oh, 21st, yes. 2022. Um, uh, a lot of people assume I'm Jewish. I, I don't know why. Uh, with a last name like Lamb, uh, with this auburn brown beard that I have, these blue eyes, um, I am not. Uh, I'm not Jewish. I, I I admire the Jewish people, but I am not one of the one of the flock, if you will. I'm not of the chosen. <laughs> but a lot of people assume I'm Jewish. I don't know why. I, I, I this happened a lot in Alabama, but I feel like. You and I, like, we got to Lansing because someone thought I was Jewish here. Yeah. 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 Someone thought I was Jewish here. Yeah. Well, we we thought you were we thought you were Jewish here, and then we kept on pushing, and you're like, "No, I am not." Yeah. And you're like, "Yes, you are," and that's actually very very offensive. But you know, we kept on pressing and pressing and pressing, and and then and then we're like, "Okay, well, we'll we'll just change the name because you're good at." A lot of things and you provide prescription on how to do things so there you go dr Lampson. yeah so that's that's kind of where dr lampstein came from you started calling me that and then you still do whenever we talk podcasts i know because it's hello dr lampstein <laughs> and then i know i can't talk to you about personal stuff with our kids <laughs> whenever i see dr lampstein it's it's podcast yes. things and then whenever i say ian then you know or the lamb i call you, you sometimes do. the lamb right the lamb of god thank you for listening to the teach rich podcast this podcast is produced by dr lemstein productions mixing and editing by ian lamb if you are enjoying this podcast we'd love for you to subscribe rate or give us a review on apple google spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at teachreach underscore podcast. For our regular listeners, we truly appreciate your support. Thank you. You can find more information about our podcast at teachreach.podbean.com. Until next time, Kembe Lapalagi. Hang in there. Don't give up.